Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book Know My Name. This book tells of the various life changes that Chanel Miller experienced after being sexually assaulted. While attending a party at Stanford University, Miller was sexually assaulted by a student there. At that time, she was still unconscious, and two students who happened to pass by discovered her and promptly called the police. Thereafter, Miller's life was turned upside down utterly. She was unable to continue working due to a ceaseless court trial, and her mental health suffered a huge blow from the pressures of having to recount her trauma time and again in court, and having to be cross-examined multiple times by the defense attorneys. Not only that, many members of the judiciary as well as the judge himself continuously protected the assailant, trampling all over the victim's rights and pleas. Apart from Miller herself, Miller's family and friends were also heavily affected throughout the process of seeking justice for Miller. Her sister and friends who attended the party with her at the time of her assault, suffered much psychological trauma, and had to seek counseling and therapy. Not only that, her sister Tiffany needed to step forward and testify for Miller countless times, which severely disrupted her own studies and life. Miller's boyfriend also frequently had to bear with Miller's sudden emotional breakdowns, but he still chose to stay by her side to comfort her and give her courage. While the victim's life underwent such tremendous harm and devastation, her attacker demonstrated no signs of remorse, merely continuing to insist on his own innocence and attempting to get himself acquitted. Thanks to an unfair trial and the eloquence of his defense lawyers, he achieved a very lenient sentence. On the other hand, Miller had to continue receiving psychological treatment, and spend the rest of her life trying to erase the devastation this experience had caused her. Miller used her personal experiences to write this book Know My Name, which details every impact that sexual assault had on her life, as well as her continued fight for justice after an unfair trial. Now, let us better understand the contents of Know My Name by dividing it into three key parts. Part 1, Sexual Assault and Reliving Trauma After Filing a Lawsuit. Part 2, How Sexual Violence Changed the Lives of Chanel Miller. Part 3, The Struggle of Chanel Miller. On the 17th of January in 2015, Miller's sister Tiffany received a friend's invitation to attend a party on the campus grounds of Stanford University. Arriving at the party, like others, she chatted, drank, and danced at the party. After drinking some vodka, she felt sleepy. Then she got drunk, and her memory came to an abrupt halt from this point forward. When she woke up again, Miller found herself lying on a narrow bed in a house filled with white light everywhere, that swam around her and blinded her. There were traces of brown blood stains left on the backs of both her arms, and there was tape wound around her right arm. Upon turning her head, she discovered that there were two men standing beside her bed, who were looking at her with much concern and anxiety. One of them was even wearing a black police uniform. When that police officer saw that Miller was awake, he approached her and asked sternly how she felt. Miller did not comprehend these actions, as she felt fine. Just as she started looking around for her sister Tiffany, another man wearing a red jacket introduced himself to her as the dean of Stanford University, and asked for her name. Miller was extremely confused by their gestures, but still she informed the dean of her identity. Miller wanted to leave and return home, but those two men seemed to have no intention of letting her go home. They continued to ask Miller if she needed to inform her relatives or friends, and so Miller told them how to contact Tiffany. The Stanford dean turned and walked out of the room to contact Tiffany, while the police officer that stayed behind told Miller a piece of earth-shattering news, that she had been sexually assaulted. Upon hearing those words Miller was filled with doubt, she felt that this police officer might have gotten it wrong. How could she have been sexually assaulted if she had not had any contact with strangers at the party? 
Then, she felt an intense pain in her abdomen and wanted to use the washroom, but the police officer stopped her, and requested for her to wait till she had left a urine sample for the forensics officer. When she was finally allowed to go to the washroom, she realized that there was something wrong with her clothes, her grey dress had been bunched up above her waist, and she was wearing a pair of mint green trousers underneath. She took off this foreign pair of trousers, and with her eyes still half shut, touched the sides of her thighs as well as the skin on her hips. Strangely, she felt nothing. It was as if her senses had shut down. After sitting in the washroom at a loss for a while, Miller tidied her clothes and calmly returned to the bed. After a while, several nurses led her to an office, where Miller noticed a folder labeled with the word sexual assault response team on the office shelves. After signing a few consent forms, she was led to a cold gray room, where she was undressed and photographed for evidence. Cameras moved up and down around her while a nurse used a measuring tape to measure the size of her injuries. After the process of gathering evidence was complete, Miller cleaned herself and put on a new set of clothes before returning to the office to be interrogated. She had tried her best to recall what happened the day before, and she finally learned of the circumstances of her assault from the police officers. As it turned out, Miller had been lying in an empty space behind a dumpster when she was discovered, and quite possibly, two passersby called the police after witnessing her being assaulted by a man. After the interrogation ended, Tiffany rushed to the site as well, where she was similarly interrogated by the police. She said that Miller went missing when she had left for a while to take care of a drunken friend. Despite asking everyone she saw and searching through every part of the house, she failed to find any trace of Miller, and nobody picked up the phone when she tried to call. It was not until receiving the news that morning, that she learned exactly what had happened to Miller. On the way home, Miller's mind was a mess and she kept imagining how the investigators would call her afterwards to tell her that everything was just a false alarm, for example, that the man had tried to do something to her but was discovered before he managed to commit the act. After some time, the police investigators did indeed call her, but it was to ask her if she wanted to sue her assailant. Miller felt that if she refused to press charges against her attacker, it would mean that she had forgiven him, hence she decided to do so. At that time, she was not aware that as a victim, she would have to relive her trauma many more times. Shortly after making the decision to press charges, Stanford Daily's police blotter, a police daily, published news of Miller's assault, following which other newspapers published even finer details of the case on their respective front pages. What was offensive was that not only did the papers describe and detail the process of the assault, they sang the praises of the assailant, and with that, seemingly absolved him of blame. The assailant Brock Turner was a swimmer who had not only been the All-American High School swimming champion three times, but had even participated in the trials for the 2012 London Olympic Games. At the same time, he was also an outstanding student. They called him excellent and wonderful, lavishing praise upon him. In contrast, Miller discovered that the media barely described the victim, apart from what was already in the police reports that were given to news companies, reports which stated how the victim, who was in a black, body-fitting dress, had collapsed on the ground behind a dumpster, with her dress pulled up to her hips, and her entire lower body naked. Not long after, a news article with the headline Stanford Swimmer Denies Alleged Rape appeared in public, in which Turner denied the assault, insisting that Miller had had consensual sex with him, even declaring that Miller had seemed to enjoy the process very much. He claimed that he had not run away, and had merely left under normal circumstances after discovering it was late. It was absurd. Miller believed that nobody would trust what those reports stated, yet the comment section was flooded with criticisms of the victim. People felt that Miller had been assaulted only because she had behaved with impropriety, they said that Turner was still a child, and Miller would ruin his bright future by doing this. There were even people who blamed her for wearing a dress that day. 
Miller told her sister not to look at those comments. She said, it was simply because these people did not know the truth. Yet she herself could not help but refresh the comment section each day and digest every single hurtful comment. Under the relentless attack of public criticisms, her mental health deteriorated day by day. One Friday evening, Miller steered onto the highway, played blasting loud music and screamed I hate you to vent her frustrations. Feeling breathless after that, she drove her car into a brightly lit and crowded parking lot, turned off the music, and with both hands trembling severely, a sensation of being deprived of oxygen in her brain and a blurry vision, she urgently dialed a number listed as the Stanford helpline in one of the pamphlets that she had always kept with her. I need somebody, she said, and with that she began to recount what she had gone through incoherently. The hotline operator kept repeating it's not your fault as if she was chanting a spell. Immersed in her anger, Miller gradually realized that she had no choice but to get her act together, and turn her emotions into rationality, so as to better prepare herself to bear with all the hostility and self-destructive anguish that she would have to face, and to deal with the merciless process of the court trial. However, going through the trial was truly a tough thing to do. During the process of the trial, Miller needed to be interrogated by prosecutors as well as defense attorneys, and had to listen to the accounts of various eyewitnesses detailing the circumstances of her assault multiple times. This caused tremendous detriment to her sense of dignity. During her pretrial hearing, while she was being questioned by Deputy District Attorney Alala about what had happened, the defense attorneys repeatedly interrupted her response. Miller felt that she was like a dog with an electric collar, whose remote control lay in the hands of her opponents. All she could do was to speak carefully in order to avoid being interrupted or falling prey to the opponent's leading questions. People presented were analyzing in detail Miller's agenda and motives for attending the party, and meticulously scrutinizing how she had spent every minute of that day and every mouthful of food that she had eaten. All Miller could do was to respond to each question with added caution, such that she was entirely exhausted. Finally, the most important moment came. Alala asked, what was the next thing that happened? Instantly Miller felt everything before her eyes vanish, and all that was left was darkness, endless darkness. Tears streamed down her cheeks uncontrollably, and the hearing had to be adjourned halfway. When it resumed later on, a sobbing Miller spoke about the bloodstains and her missing underwear, the pine needles on her head, and the details of her medical inspection at the hospital. By the end of it all, she had answered 322 questions. Yet, on the second day, the media only described her ordeal as an emotional testimony. On the 14th of March in 2016, her trial officially began. Miller was once again forced to recall the details of her assault, and her face was once again soaked in tears. She recollected the circumstances around her waking up, and when she mentioned how the dean and the police officer had questioned her and told her about the possibility that she had been assaulted, the defense attorneys interrupted her testimony multiple times to say, objection, hearsay or objection, move to strike. This sensation of being interrupted was like being dealt repeated blows. Miller ultimately lost all control and, amidst wails and sobs, filled in the gaps of everything that had happened to her. Finally, nobody interrupted her, and Miller was able to speak the truth freely and without holding back. After a short break, a new round of torture began. Unknown to Miller, the prosecutors had revealed to the jury in court the photographs of Miller that were taken during the evidence-gathering session. Everything was exposed in great clarity to Miller's family. Miller was overwhelmed with anguish and helplessness, and fervently wished for someone to cover her mother's eyes, but it was impossible to conceal the damage. Not only that, she had to recount and detail the process of her inspection in front of her whole family, including the tools and methodologies used, as well as her frame of mind at the time. What is more, all these brutal exposures of the truth were only one small part of what was ultimately a very tedious trial process. On top of that, 
the defense attorneys who had been hired by the defense party at a great price, scrutinized Miller's every expression like a pack of wolves, waiting for an opportunity at every moment to cast her in a stereotypical light, as someone used to passing out at parties, or label her as a willing party. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.